Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, Boy Wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Episode 66 for September MMXIII. Episode 66 is brought to you by this public service announcement. Boy, am I hungry. What do you want? Maybe I'll get an apple. An apple? Let's buy some candy. Hold on, fellas. Lifeline! Listen to your friend Terrell. He's got the right idea. Yeah, you never catch an NBA player eating a candy bar for a game. A candy bar might give you a quick boost of energy, but after 20 minutes... You'll feel run down. So let's eat smart. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! 
Backworld the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are November's Backroll number 25, Embers of Prey number 25, both for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. Finally, Backroll to Oracle is brought to you by TweakedAudio.com. High performance, noise reducing earbuds. Purchasers who use the code TBUSAVES get 33% off your whole order plus free worldwide shipping. TweakedAudio.com. Plug in, turn up the volume, and give us a try. Well, I don't know if news of an impending interview caused such a great reaction by listeners as this one did, whether because of her work on Gem and the Holograms or Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Yeah, you can tell who my friends are. But a present concern is her work on the current volume of Birds of Prey. So a very warm welcome to Christy Marks. Hello there. So Christy, I always like to start off asking my interviewees how you actually got into writing and, and comics too. Uh, writing in general or just comics in particular? Yeah, writing in general. And then how did you make the switch? Because I know you, you have a very prolific resume. So, yeah, how did you get into comics as well? Well, I certainly didn't set out to become a writer or, or have any awareness of the fact that there was such a thing as a career path to be a writer. But I did grow up reading and completely obsessed with comic books. First of all, reading and being a voracious reader and just reading everything I could get my hands on, but falling very naturally into science fiction and then fantasy at a very early age. I discovered comics quite early on and became just absolutely positively obsessed with comic books and collected obsessively and read obsessively and just went out of my way. So whatever it was about comics and that particular visual storytelling format, it just naturally spoke to me and it was something I always felt comfortable doing and unfortunately I got off on kind of a false path because I I guess understandably not knowing very much at the time figured you had to draw comics in order to do comics and so of course I thought I had to be an artist and draw comics and unfortunately that is not where my talent lies (laughs) and uh, but it took me a while like into my 20s to kind of finally realize that you know I'm gee, I don't have what it takes to be a comic book artist. And I had at that time uh, moved to Los Angeles. I grew up in Illinois. I moved to Los Angeles. And I started becoming acquainted and networking with various people who worked in uh, animation, writing for animation, and some of them also coincidentally wrote for comics and so forth. And through this networking, it discovered that Roy Thomas had also decided to move to Los Angeles. And Roy at the time was, was uh, I don't know if he was still, but it had been or was still editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. And of course, I knew Roy Thomas's name mm-hmm. through all of the, all the work he had done for Marvel and Conan and all of that. So he was speaking somewhere to a group of fans. So I showed up, sat in the front, listened to everything he had to say, and he was getting all these typical fanish questions. And I thought, 
okay, there's one really obvious question that nobody's asking him. And so I waited and I waited. And, and right at the very end, I got in like the last question and I, and I said, okay, well, what are you doing now? What, are, what do you want to do? What are your future plans? And, and, you know, he had been waiting the whole time for someone to ask him something like that instead of just asking him about what he had done. So having gotten his attention, I then handed him a Conan story that I had written you know, had written up as a um, comic books. Now, this is like the absolute no-no. Nowadays, yeah. it's like the absolute no-no. They tell you never to do that. But this was a long time ago. And no mm-hmm. one had ever told me you don't do something like that. And he bought it. And that was my first comic book sale. It was a Conan story that was in Savage Sword of Conan. But it was, it was all told from a woman's point of view. That was my different take on it. My approach on it was we're always seeing these comic book stories about Conan you know, from his point of view with the woman clinging to him and all this and that. And so this was the taking it from the other point of view, the woman who has the encounter with Conan and where she's coming from and where it leaves her and so forth. Very cool. And so from there, uh, then Roy let me do some Red Sonia stories. And then right around the same time, through some of the same group of people, uh, and because of Roy also, I got to do this what-if comic book story about the Fantastic Four. And I did that with a, a good friend of mine, Rick Hoberg. It was the artist on that. And uh, then I found out f- from someone that this animation studio called Patty Freeling was going to do a Fantastic Four animation series. And that they were looking for people who had written Fantastic Four comics. And on the basis of the one little story, <laughs> that what-if story, I just called up and got in the door and got my first animation writing assignment and uh, you know a lot of it was just luck and timing and networking but also a lot of it was that it was so early on in, in the stages of these things that you didn't have all the same barriers and obstacles because people weren't people weren't really writing animation very much at the time even the very notion of writing a script for animation was um, a fairly new thing so that was uh, that was that so my break in animation actually came through my break in uh, comics very nice. So, New 52 at DC, it started off with basically one female writer being Gail Simone. What has it been like to be, and it's starting to grow, you know, we have Anne Nascenti and, and we're starting to grow more, but what has it been like to be a female writer at DC? Uh, it's been just the same as being a writer anywhere else. Uh, there's no difference. I mean, to, to me, there I don't see why there's a need to differentiate. I just, I mean, I'm just treated like a writer. Okay. Really. Sounds That's, good. Yeah. And, and of course, there have been, there have been a, a series of uh, women working in comics before me. So, and I've been working in comics since, oh, let's see, <laughs> late 70s, I guess. Are there any aspects about the current state of the comic book industry that you would hope or like to change as a writer for one of the, the two big publishing companies? Well, I certainly would like to see more women doing it. Um, It's interesting because I've now worked in animation, live action television, you know, comics and video games. And there are some similar elements, especially between comics and video games, in that you run into a medium that has been predominantly for a male audience and is therefore being created mostly by a male audience, they tend to make things that appeal to them 
as males. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the real catch-22 in, in comics and video games and, and, and perhaps some other things is that you, you have to kind of get the women in there at, on the creative end to create stuff that appeals to women in order to have product that women will want to buy. But if you don't have the product that women will want to buy, then you have a problem you know, getting women into the comic book stores to even buy the comics in the first place. And it, it, it's a little bit of a vicious cycle. And, mm-hmm. and somebody has to break it somewhere. Uh, it, it's just a matter of, of I think, trying to break loose of how standardized the mainstream comics have become. You know, there has always been a thriving additional market for alternative comics and independent comics, and, and, but it's hard to compete against the big comics. I mean, it's still difficult. I mean, Dark Horse is doing well and, and, mm-hmm. and so forth, but, but it's still tough. It's still tough to do that. And, and there have been attempts to do some some great books that appeal to the women audience, but I, I think that we just haven't gotten to that tipping point yet. We still need to, but it's difficult, and we just simply haven't gotten there. And, and unless unless the product is out there to appeal to the women readers, then it's going to be hard to build up that base of, of women that want to grow up to do this the way I grew up wanting to do it. Right. Well, before Birds of Prey, you had been on Sword of Sorcery. How did the option to take over Birds of Prey come about? Well, having done uh, the Amethyst book, um, unfortunately, we didn't see. Here we go. It kind of gets back to the conversation of Amethyst, which really should have appealed to the female audience, mm-hmm. didn't get enough numbers to sustain itself. And so, you know, they knew that we were going to end that book with issue number eight. Uh, and I had been working with Rachel Gluckstern, the editor at DC, and Rachel and I have gotten along really, really great. And she, she had actually asked me if I wanted to take over Birds of Prey like months ago, months before that, and I simply couldn't manage it because I, I work full-time as a game designer, game writer, so I'm doing the comics nights and weekends and mm-hmm. even one one monthly book is a pretty tough thing to have to maintain on top of of the kind of ex- extensive uh game work that i do and so i said there's just no way i just i simply can't do two monthly books on top of my full-time job so then when amethyst came to an end they still really urgently wanted uh, a writer for birds of prey so it worked out perfectly for me to just move off of amethyst and onto birds of prey Okay. Since you are continuing from Swarzynski's run, how much of his run will impact your future stories? Um, Very little. The main way that it's impacting the future stories is that he he set up certain things having to do with with Kurt Larson and Mm -hmm. Dinah thinking that she had killed him. And and I I guess he or he in conjunction with with the editors had set up the whole line about Starling becoming a traitor and so forth. So I'm sort of just I'm picking up those threads and carrying those forward and dealing with them a bit at a time. Have you had a lot of freedom with your ideas while working on the book or have you really had to discuss with other writers, especially in the Batman universe perhaps, how what they're doing is going to impact you or how what you're doing is going to impact them? Um, no, interestingly enough, uh, 
uh, it's been pretty much an independent sort of thing. We we did have that crossover that we did between uh, the Talon mm-hmm. book and yeah. and we had that crossover and and I worked very very closely with James on that, and we we exchanged like a ton of email back and forth between the editors and and James the writer and me. Um, uh, just to try and get that all to mesh and come together and, and make sure that it it was as cohesive as we could make it. And so that was a lot of fun. That was really great. And um, Simone and I had have kind of discussed a little bit, maybe having a little bit somewhat more crossover uh, between our books, but we've been kind of busy. But I've, I've been trying to stay very much in tune with what Gail is doing with the Batgirl character so that I can you know, try to stay true to what she's doing with the character and try to find places where we can intersect and where I can I can touch upon, oh, now Batgirl goes off and something happens to her in her book and when she comes back, she's changed by it and try to incorporate that into my books, try to keep that, that organic sense between the two books. Um, but other than that, um, the other characters, I don't really need to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm glad to hear that there's a lot of collaboration and, and connecting between books. That's great. Well, I'm trying to. I, I like that. I like to keep continuity right. I like to mm-hmm. keep, you know, a, a sense of things meshing organically as much as you can. It's pretty tough when you have that many books and that many things going on yeah. and, a, and, and a continuous grinding schedule that never sleeps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, you do the best you can, and, and, and uh, I've gotten to meet Gail and talk to her, and, and uh, we, you know, we've hit it off, and, and uh, you know, she's doing great stuff with Batgirl, so I want to try and, and incorporate as much of that as I can. So this particular team has changed so often, you know, people leave and come on the team. Do you think we're going to see this current form of the team for the foreseeable future? That's my plan. Uh, my plan is to stick with this batch of characters for quite a while because I feel that there's still so much I can explore with them and so much I can do with them. And you know, if you, when you just keep switching up characters all the time, it doesn't feel to me like you can get into the characters in depth. Mm-hmm. and truly explore some interesting relationships with them. I, I figure at some point it'll finally start getting a little bit thin and maybe feel like we need a change. But I, I don't want to change just for the sake of changing. Mm-hmm. I want to change because it feels like, okay, we've gone as far as we can, you know, with this character. Now what would be another good mix that we could do with these characters? Very cool. So talking about the characters, uh, can you just maybe go into what you're thinking about different characters and maybe future storylines that you have in mind? So Dinah, who's the leader, and I do wonder, do you think that she has what it takes to be a leader for this team? Because she sort of struggled a little bit with some some things that she's done. But what are your thoughts on Dinah? Yeah, um, I just finished writing issue number 25, which is the the zero-year tie-in. Okay. And it deals entirely with Dinah Drake and who she was and where she was during that period of time and how that event is a pivotal turning point in her life. And so it gave me a chance to try to to set up a bit of a reboot on this character. I mean, it seems like this character has been rebooted 10,000 times. So sorry. Yeah. This is 10,001. I'm sorry, everybody. But nonetheless, I, I tried to establish a character who who understandably has a bit of a chip on her shoulder, why she has it, you know, why it's, why it's still there, what she's dealing with, 
and I want that all to, I don't want to give away too much, but I do want it all to feed into uh, where she is now. I, I see her as a woman who has perhaps, even though she's very strong, a very strong character, who perhaps hasn't quite learned to stand as independently on her own two feet as she could, and I want to bring her to that point. You know, I want to make her a little bit less codependent on other people in her lives, mm-hmm. especially men, and, and, and just kind of get into the, to the grit of that character a bit more. Um, and so that's going to speak to this whole storyline that's coming up. It's, it's going to feature Ross El Ghul, mm. and uh, it's going to, to feature what's happening with Kurt, her husband, who she thought she had killed. And it's going to deal with how that affects the relationship that was growing between her and Condor. You know, so there, there's going to be some fun stuff there to play with. And, and then also I want to get back to, and this, this is something that uh, on the editorial end, something they would really like to see is, is try to work back into a stronger sense of the friendship between Canary and Batgirl. Awesome. You know, get, and get, you know, get back into some mm-hmm. more of the, of the heart of that. Yeah. And Talon, uh, Talon, you know, uh, Strix is always kind of the odd one out, but uh, I think there are some interesting places to go with her. And I'm, I'm introducing a new character who isn't really a part of the team, but who is going to be a, a kind of benefactor and who is going to play a pretty significant role in what's going on with the team. Yeah, and Strix, you sort of have a blank slate, so you can really make her your own. And, and I think you started to do that certainly in issue 23 where you see kind of what her dreams would be like if we saw into her mind. Uh, yeah, well, that, that is actually based on um, the background that, that Gail got to establish for that character because you know, Strix first connected with Batgirl and right. in one of those books that Gail wrote. And, and Gail had, lives in Oregon and had done this research into a very fascinating moment of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the only people that were ever killed, I think, if I remember correctly, on the soil of America during World War II was from this bizarre batch of balloons with bombs on them that the Japanese set aloft and they floated over to the West Coast and blew up and they happened to kill this family mm-hmm. in Oregon. And, uh, and so Gail found this wonderful piece of history and w- wove that into the background for Strix. She just kind of touched upon it. So I just went in there and did my own research into it and, and just brought it out a bit more that this was her background but I I thought another thing that might be very interesting for that character is that she is someone who is so badly damaged by this event that she's lost her tongue she can't speak so what would it have been like if she would have been this little girl with a beautiful voice who loved to sing and finds herself silenced and finds herself without a family and then she falls into the hands of the, the court of owls and you end up with a very strange, pathetic, twisted character. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, I, th- I think there could be a little bit more to explore there. Starling, are we ever going to see her return? And will we find out what the true connection was between her and, and uh, Amanda Waller? Well, not, not as much Amanda, but um, we're certainly going to see. I certainly do want to bring Starling back. And I think you're going to see a little bit more about her rather strange connection with Mr. Freeze more than with Amanda. But Dinah's going to have some words with Amanda at some point. Uh, I haven't worked out exactly when or where or how, but, you know, 
she has a pretty serious beef with Waller over Kurt. So I think that's going to be some fun stuff to play with. Condor, what are your thoughts on uh, a male on a predominantly female team? Yeah, I like it. I like the mix. Um, When I came into the book, there hadn't been a lot established about Condor, so I I took it upon myself to, to work out my own background biography for him, and I admit I've kind of fallen in love with the character a little bit. I think he could be he could be fun, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. At the, at the moment, I like the whole emotional and romantic angst that he can bring to the team. But I still I need to be a little bit more fair to him. I think in his own right as a character, I, that's something I could probably do a little bit better. And finally, villains. What villains can we expect to see, and and which would you really like to work with? Uh, well, I believe, as I've already mentioned, uh, there's going to be an up- upcoming arc uh, that deals with Ross Al Ghul. Mm-hmm. So, and and beyond that, I haven't really plotted out beyond okay. that because that's going to be that also introduces this other character I was talking about. So, um, that's going to be a significant arc that runs for a number of months. Now, as an aside, the uplink in your current storyline, she she seems very similar to Amy from Amethyst. Is that just you know a stretch? on my reading or did you put a little bit of Amy into this character? Yeah, no, I, I didn't really think of them. There as being any connection whatsoever. In fact, okay. in fact, uplink really, if anything is probably based a lot more on a, a number of young women that I work with in the video game business. And uh, I happen to work at a company that is unlike many other game companies that I've worked for, um, I currently work for Zynga, and it happens to have a very high percentage of women working there, including in including in IT, but also you know IT, but also design and and art and so forth, uh, and maybe not as much on the programming end. There should be more, but at least there's some. But uh, Uplink to me came a little bit from from some of the rather interesting young women that that are around me that are in the tech field, you know, working in the tech field, and so I I just see her as kind of you know your your IT girl who works with computers and she's really good with computers and she never asked to have any kind of a special power and she gets nabbed by these guys and forced to use this power that she doesn't really want to use and really she'd just be perfectly happy getting back into working with the computers again and having people leave her alone. So um, I, I see her as, as not certainly not your standard uh, superhero kind of a character. Awesome. Well, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you and thanks for coming on to talk about Birds of Prey. And not at all. Loved it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. Send any questions or comments to backroll2oracle at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at backroll2oracle. Like the Batman Universe on Facebook as well. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics and Tweaked Audio for sponsoring Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And a really big and warm special thanks to Christy Marks for coming on the show. Well, until next time. Fly on, Baz lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Batgirl! <sighs> 
love a happy ending, don't you? To the.